Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Back to America's Heroes Group, a roundtable with our partner, the Veterans Legislative Voice. April is Sexual Assault and Autism Awareness Month. Today is Saturday, April 9th, 2022. You just heard our, our host, and our is Cliff Kelly. He's the governor of Talk Radio. You just heard him in the, during the break and are giving our some great information. Go get some gulf shrimp. It's good shrimp. I'm going to lie to you. Also, I'm the co-host, Sean Claiborne. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. And digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have, once again, Stephanie Collada, U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant First Class. She's a veteran and the founder and creator of the Veterans Legislative Voice. And we're on a, a topic today. We've been talking about this all day. But first, make sure you go to Facebook Live and, and see us streaming right now. You can also listen to us on YouTube. Search for us on YouTube, America's Heroes Group, or any of the topics we've been talking about. We're starting to pop up today on a lot of things on YouTube. And also leave your comments and questions and like and subscribe, of course, and also like and share. But go on Facebook Live. If you have any questions, comments you want us to know about or even topics you want us to cover, let us know about that. We want to engage with you and also interact with you and also get your opinions and voices. So, Stephanie, how pervasive is sexual assault and sexual harassment in the military today? And what do the laws on the books say about prevention, protection for the victim, but also punishment for the offenders? Well, hello. And, yeah, it's very pervasive. Um, There was a DOD report that came out. Um, Secretary uh, Austin had uh, released at the end of last month, and they had actually had found that from the ground level, there is a very pervasive misunderstanding of what prevention actually is how to do it, and what it takes to do it well. It, there's a lot of lack of understanding of how really sexual sexual assault prevention or harassment prevention really works and how to get it working. It's, um, it's a culture thing, and it's going to take a while for it to actually start to get moving. Um, if anybody kn- understands what it was like in the military, there is a very uh, pervasive culture that can happen when those time, those environments allow it. So how do we, how do we, what are we doing? What is the, what does UCMJ say about it? Like, what is the, what does, what's the, what should be happening right now, especially with prevention, but also for protection for the victim? Right. Well, um, just recently, UCM, with the UCMJ, they have added uh, sexual harassment as a actual chapter. So it is legally a crime by chapter, by Title 32 and also with UCMJ. Um, President Biden did an executive order after the um, Congress had passed it uh, early before that. So, I mean, it is illegal now to sexually harass somebody. Um, Before that, it was more of like an informal punishment, and it usually fell under of conduct unbecoming Hmm. and things like that. 
um, now they actually have uh, the naming of it, and it can help out a lot. Um, the biggest thing that does provide issues with the pervasiveness is what they found in the DOD and the GAO report is that there has been a big um, attrition issue with uh, with actually get sexual assault uh, response coordinators, victim advocates. Uh, they also call them sappers in the Air Force. Um, there's a lot of lag time and a lot of temporary people. So trying to hire these people, train them up, and get them going is a very difficult process. Um, I used to be a sexual assault response coordinator, and it took me at least 10 months to get a single person completely certified and trained and uh, to their, do their job. And that's Army Reserve. I can only imagine how hard it is in the active duty. So um, those type of things really do give uh, a lot of opportunities for bad stuff to happen. So what are the laws and, and the rules say about people for the, the, the victims? So what is, what's the, how do we protect the victims? And also, what's the punishment for the offenders? Well, for the victims, they are allowed um, a, it, a, it depends on how they report it. If it's restricted report, there isn't much protections in there because with that, no one really knows that it actually happened. A file is done. Someone does the report. The only person that really does know is the um, victim advocate and the sexual assault response coordinator, the actual victim. They do allow for a friend or so to actually um, know about it, and then their doctors. So Those are the only people that would know. So and what, what? They, say, they say they allow one friend to know about it? Is that what you said? It's, it's, they do allow friendships and family to, under, to know it because a lot of times um, – that's your support team. I mean, what? I don't so, know. I, I'm confused because you say they allow it. Like, how could, if I told my friend about something that happened to me, why would that even be an issue? Before that, before they basically had told everybody it's allowed, everybody had assumed it wasn't allowed. That it would become an unrestricted when somebody other than themselves, the victim advocate and the doctor, finds out. Wow! So, so that changes when, the whole legal game because your your yeah. best friend, you know, knows what happened. So now it's a whole different. That's so that's wild. That's crazy. Well, the thing is, is that they try to encourage that type of communication because that's your support team. A lot of times, for people, you need when you go through trauma, you need friends and family to help you through that type of trauma. Not just doctors and your victim advocates. You need a friend to help get it get you out of that hole that you emotionally, mentally go through. Um, so that's one of the things that's really come out in training everybody and letting everybody know. Um, there is another big misunderstanding that, especially for sexual harassment, that anyone can file for sexual harassment issues. It could be a witness. Um, it could be some of the victim's uh, NCO, soldier leader, could actually file the, the sexual, uh, sexual harassment reports. Um, a lot of people thought that only the victim can do it. No, anyone can really do it. Um, and so that does happen a lot. I have known a couple of, uh, leaders that have done it, usually lieutenants or E7s and above, sergeant first classes and above, because they're not going to be afraid about any repercussions and retaliation. Um, and then for sexual assault, there's something called an unrestricted report. And the unrestricted report, everybody knows pretty much, um, the, the MPs, uh, they start doing the investigations. The um, doctors, of course, know because more likely than not, the victims would have to go through a uh, forensic exam. Um, and then the leaders will know. Um, 
usually when I used when I used to work as a sexual assault response coordinator, I would only really tell them tell the commander the unit where what unit happened and pretty much the synopsis of what happened. And then when things get worse from there, I will provide more details. But a lot of times um, we do try to um, not put the victims and subjects names out there because it can cause a lot of drama and a lot of issues and retaliation or reprisal can get out there too. Hmm. That's, that's tricky. That's a trick. That's a slippery slope. So, uh, so this it is scary. It's pretty, so it's for pretty many people scary know about it. It changes the whole dynamic, but, but at the same time, you don't want everyone, you want everybody to know about it. So if you, I mean, so it's just, wow, that's just crazy. Yeah. And so the, uh, the other thing about it is that the victims also are allowed to get um, ex- expedited transfer so they can go to another base and transfer out of the unit, out of their place where everything could have happened, and then they can be transferred out. Now, the problem with that is that it's very, um, there's no mandatory time frame for the transfer to happen. So there was a soldier in South Korea that was assaulted from her fellow uh, soldiers in her barracks. And it took them 86 days to transfer her. Wow. So she stayed in the same barracks as the perpetrators mm. that assaulted her. And then, so that poor soldier had been finally transferred to Fort Carson. And then she received a call that she would have to come back to Korea for the judicial process, which actually is not required. So no one knows why this call was made. And this poor soldier um died by suicide because of everything that she went through. Um, I do have to hand it to um, her mother. Her mother is a very wonderful advocate for everyone that has gone through military sexual trauma, and she is very vocal on letting people know all of the dangers that can happen and what needs to be changed. So I really do um, honor her mother for that. So what are the laws that are centered around punishment? So offenders that commit these types of crimes, what happens to these people? Well, it's um, right now it's it's going through a big change. And I know you're trying to get me there. It's going through a big change because um, they have taken away certain chapters away from the commanding uh, authority for that. And it's going to go to a special prosecutor, which is similar to a D.A. I mean, a lot of uh, many people from the D.O.D. doesn't like to um, use that association. But honestly, there's no other way to describe it um but it is sort of like a da that would make the decision of whether to prosecute or not not all of the um chapters that are the um charges that we were hoping for they had lessened it i think to 13 because i think it was 24 26 that was originally um put up there to be removed from the commander's authority but um those type of things will be happening we've got about a year from the uh, National Defense Authorization Act to, to to find out really what's going on. And so that's going to be around this Christmas time frame that we're going to be hearing, hopefully, how they're changing everything and then going into um, an effect, which can take up to five years. So it's not a big, quick change or update, but it will take in, take about five years for it to get there. So if a person is, is uh, found guilty of sexual harassment or sexual assault, is that under right. UCMJ? What does what does that what what type of jail time are you looking at, or what is it, what is the penalty? Um, it is well, Supreme Court recently uh, in the last couple of years said that they, that for sexual violence uh, they are not going to 
go towards a uh, death penalty for that. So uh, only jail time. Um, there, from my knowledge, it might be different. From my knowledge, there is not a uh, minimums, mandatory minimums uh, charges like you find in many states. So it can be different case by case. There has been officers that have been um, found guilty and then allowed to retire without any jail time. Wow. I think mm-hmm. It seems like that. I mean, I would think Republicans will like, <laughs> like to punish people. So I think they would, they would, they would want to have some kind of, you know, some kind of nope. law on the books to say, hey, if you do this, this is your penalty. This is your punishment. You know, if you get found nope. guilty of and- doing this, this is, you get a minimum, you know, this. I mean, we're... we're I thought we are tough on crime. What happened to tough on crime talk? I know. I know. And then in the last couple of years, they've been finding out that not many um, convicted sex, sex offenders out of the military have actually been made to register because they found in many bases, it's different on, many, on most bases. But a lot of times you only get the sex offender registration when you go in to pick up your DD-214 and mm-hmm. go through that out processing. The problem is, is that if you have a bad conduct discharge or anything other than general, more times than not, you're probably not going to want to pick up that DD-214. Right, exactly. your, dis- your discharge certifications, by the way, for anybody that's not familiar with that form, it's pretty much um, if you get a bad conduct discharge, it's very difficult to get jobs in places. Uh, you can't get a security clearance. There's many things that restricts you. You're not allowed a uh, VA disability. Um, You're not allowed care from the VA. So um, there's a lot of bad things that happen when you do get that type of discharge. And even those type of discharges are not part of any uh, mandatory minimum punishments as well. Wow, that's crazy. So tell us. Speaking of of pervasiveness, that's also pretty pervasive on the culture for the military justice system. Hmm. So give us a, a, a rundown again. So you've been on our show a lot. Of, you're on our show all the time. You're on our show often. And you give us great information about um, what's going on, and legally speaking, and also what's going on with the laws around um, the military. Uh, tell us about Veterans uh, Legislative Voice. Uh, give us the, the, kind of your street credit, so to speak. And also give us uh, some. Give us a quick rundown of what are you working on right now. Okay. So um, Veterans Legislative Voice, I, I pretty much I brainchilded it. Uh, in the response of Vanessa Guillen and her going missing and then her, um, her murder. And um, we all gathered up to support her and her family and try to find ways to fix that. And many service members and veterans were trying to figure out how to help. So I created a one-stop shop of all the information that you really need, or at least I spotlight bills because there's thousands of congressional bills that get processed. Um, so I try to spotlight those for militaries and military people and veterans on the benefits for them and then how to contact your Congress people. And uh, I always recommend giving them a call. Um, if you have to do an email, I understand, but it does take a couple of months for them to process emails nowadays. I sent my senator, uh, Marco Rubio, one email in um, January of last year. I didn't get a response until April. So those type of things can happen. I will say that all communication to Congress does get registered in a database. So it is found there. They can actually pull reports so they can see what the constituents say, so they can try to analyze, figure out how they're going to vote for these bills and really how to um, construct these bills as well. They get that information as well. Um, But, yeah, always call them. 
be careful when you're speaking to the first person because it's usually an intern, a very lowly paid intern, but an intern no, n- nevertheless, but always ask for a military or veterans liaison and schedule an appointment and then talk to them about what you want your representative senator to do for you or for others. Always try to give that story, give your personal story on it because that gives it more weight. A lot of times uh, representatives and senators will actually read out people's letters and stories so then others can understand how these bills could affect them. And it does help sway other voters, other um, uh, elected officials on how to vote for those bills. Um, right now, um, I'm actually working on a few things with Diana Danis, my mentor. Um, most recently, Kate, Dr. Kate Thomas had passed, and she has been a big advocate for burn pits and for mental health. She was a Marine veteran that deployed to Iraq. And um, at the age of 38, she was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Mm. And her radiologist told her that it looked like she was just dipped in some toxic chemical of some kind because the cancer was everywhere from her head to the toes. Mm. And she was only 38. There's a bill out there right now. uh, There's two bills that really would impact for her in honor of Dr. Kate Thomas. Um, One of them is the Service Act. It had passed the House, and it actually adds toxic exposures as a risk for breast cancer for veterans, and then basically require, put that um, availability there for the VA to provide monography screenings. Um, So the problem is a lot of times, you know, you know, bureaucracy, if you're not 40 or 45, uh, most of the time, the um, doctors will not order a screening test for you for breast cancer. So this one will actually make that a requirement that if there's a suspicion, they have to provide the mammography screenings. Excuse me. The other bill is the Honoring or PACT Act. Um, that has passed the House and it's with the Senate. The Senate has um, spoken, uh, had two hearings on that already. This bill is going to institute a process on um, how they're going to be putting presumptives. It's going to actually make presumptive conditions, how to make them process there between the VA and the government. Um, and it's going to streamline everything because most most of the time it takes an act of Congress for presumptive conditions. Now, presumptive conditions are medical conditions that the VA and the government recognized as a direct uh, reaction to a toxic exposure, like Agent Orange. Um, Agent Orange creates heart disease, lung disease, a lot of issues with that. The Honoring or Pact Act would be for our um, veterans that for burn pits. It's also going to be recognizing those from the Gulf War as well. And it also adds two more conditions um, for Agent Orange. And one of them is the big one is hypertension. And so that's going to be adding a lot of things. It's going to be streamlining a lot of conditions. So those that with lung cancer, breast cancer, it can be much easier to get the VA to recognize that it was a VA disability and you get paid for it. And then you also receive the care for it. Um, they found that veteran women veterans are 40% more likely to develop breast cancer than civilians, wow. civilian women. A majority of the uh, service members that had deployed to the Middle East, for at least 40% of them, have filed for a respiratory condition of any kind 
just from that service, from that deployment. Hmm. So you know there's going to be issues that people are going to have these, and they need that type of support from the VA and from the government for that. Yeah, especially with burn pits, because that's, I mean, especially from Afghanistan, Afghanistan guys and ladies came back. And even in Iraq, I mean, that's, I mean, like I said, the military, you burn everything. I mean, you burn trucks, I mean, you burn tires, you burn all kinds of this toxic stuff. And then a lot of this, these, these, uh, these equipments that, that we work on in the military is coated with all kinds of weird chemicals. And the jet fuel we're using has got all kinds of weird stuff in there. And you got experimental stuff in, in the field a lot of times. That stuff is, uh, is can be deadly, and we're not going to see a lot of the effects of this for another, maybe another, sometimes 10, 20, 30 years from now. So, the, the, so when we, when the, the war vets from Afghanistan and Iraq, when they hit their 60s and 70s, we're going to start seeing a lot of stuff. We need to get our laws and our, and our processes in order to be able to help these veterans when these yeah. issues start to really manifest. And I think that's really yeah. important and- that you're bringing that to, our, to everybody's attention. Yes, and then um, what Diana and I are working on is trying to highlight more toxic exposures that could have happened stateside, but also from the Middle East. So um, a lot of people have heard of the uh, chemical BPA and also um, PFAS and the firefighting foam. BPA, just for anybody to understand, if a bottled water is sitting out with heat exposure, toxins are going to be released from that plastic into that water. And it's really important for everyone to understand that for veterans, for people who had served in austere environments, our water water source, our plastic containers sitting on pallets in the sun for months. Mm. And this was over a decade ago because only only recently had um, the EPA outlawed it or the FDA outlawed it. Um, And they've only really outlawed it for... um, baby hydration devices. Um, so those type of things is that we were drinking, bathing, and washing our clothes in these toxic water for, for us that actually can cause breast cancer, brain cancer, many different cancers that can happen. Um, President Biden's son had even died of brain cancer after serving in um, the Middle East. And President Biden himself recognize that it could have, been, could have been from the burn pits and other exposures he was um, exposed to. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very, very sad stuff. And then, like I said, I'm glad of the work that you're doing and also the fact that you're on top of this. Tell us, uh, how, do, how do people connect with you? Give us your website and your information to contact and connect with you. Yeah, um, it's Vets Legislative Voice, the website. It's uh, V-E-T-S, legislativevoice.org. And you can find me on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter, Veteran Legislative Voice. I appreciate your time, Stephanie. You always bring us good information and also have some great content that people can actually take and use to empower themselves and also to make our nation a better place. I appreciate your work. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.